Over the years, we've investigated thousands of cases of relationship infidelity and relationship misrepresentations. In almost every case, there's three or four factors that show up that could have been things that could have been noticed in advance. We're going to talk about those. Now, keep in mind, just because you see one of these things doesn't automatically mean that the other person in your relationship is being unfaithful or lying to you or misrepresenting things to you, but they are indications that you need to look further because a relationship is probably the most important factor in your life of happiness, success, achieving goals, achieving benchmarks that you want to achieve. Whoever you're with is going to either help you do it or they're going to hold you back or sometimes even take away from you your happiness and success in life. So here's what we found after looking at thousands of these cases that are beyond the things you'll see on relationship dating sites. Like, well, do they, you know, all of a sudden buy new clothes or are they taking a shower three times a day or are they always hiding their phone? Those are obvious things you can look for, but there's other things that we find in relationships that have chronic misrepresentations or infidelity that you, know, you probably want to know about. So the first one has to do with finances. If the person in a serious relationship is not willing to not necessarily combine finances, but to put their vulnerability in you and vice versa, that could be a red flag. What does that look like? Well, if you have an apartment, do you both on the lease? Do you have shared bank accounts? If you're not married, are there any commingling of funds? Do you share the responsibilities? It doesn't mean that they pay for everything or you pay for everything, but is there a belief and trust in the other person and are they trusting in you to make those decisions? Are there insurance policies? If you're married, do you have a life insurance policy? Do you have coverage for your children? Now, when it comes to disparate financial backgrounds, the question comes up a lot is, what about a prenuptial agreement or postnuptial agreement? Is that fair? Well, that by itself we found is not a deal breaker. We found many relationships that ended up being good relationships that had a prenuptial, postnuptial agreement. Sometimes it makes it stronger because if there's a disparity in what the parties bring to the relationship, look, you don't necessarily want to you know, dump everything on the other person. Sometimes there's reasons to have some separations or at least a documented arrangement if a relationship goes astray. Here's an example. People say, well, I don't want to have a prenuptial agreement. Well, guess what? If you don't have one, you do have one. It's just one that's created by the state. Whatever state you live in has a set of rules that kick in if your marriage breaks up. And if you don't have a prenuptial agreement that you and your partner create mutually, you have to live with whatever one the state has. It might not be good for either one of you. It might not be what you want. And if you do that, you're going to have to go through a process where the court is going to take a lot of legal fees to use the state's pre-canned divorce agreement. If you create your own in advance, you have a little bit of legal fees, but you can do it collaboratively and mutually to care for the other party. God forbid something happens. So that by itself isn't the deal breaker. It's more of how does the person handle money? Do they just let you make decisions on money? Do they let you handle budgets? Do you talk about those types of things? Or is it really kept close to the vest? Do they tell you, you know, how much money you have? Do they tell you what the assets are? Or do they just kind of keep it 
secret. That's a really big red flag that you want to look at more. The next one is activities, right? In any relationship, it's not necessary for people to be joined at the hip, to be around each other 24 hours a day, seven days a week. A little bit of you know, separate activities, separate interests, separate hobbies is good. However, if you're in a relationship, the intention should be that you do a lot of things together and you spend time together. You build shared experiences by doing some things together. There's a lot of things that you're going to do that your partner hates and vice versa, and you may want to do those separately. But you do want to have those shared experiences, especially since any time that you're apart is the opportunity for that person to do something wrong, something they're not supposed to be doing. So when those events happen that the other person is doing something separate from you, there's three factors of that you want to be aware of. First of all, does it make any sense? Are they doing something that they love to do? Look, if they're a fisherman and they're going fishing with their buddies and you know they love fishing, that makes sense, right? Or are they going to help their college roommate move? Look, nobody helps, nobody likes helping somebody move, right? Are they driving their cousin to the airport? Look, nobody likes doing those things. Are the excuses they're making to be away from you things that make sense? Are they things they like or are they things that they don't like? And if they don't like it, maybe it's an obligation, but you need to look at what the percentage of time is happening. And then... The third factor is, do the rest of the factors about that event make sense? If they're going fishing, what are they wearing when they're going fishing? Are they wearing their old jeans and their flannel shirt, or are they dressed up? What shoes do they have on? Do the factors add up? Another thing that's a huge overlooked detail that you can self-investigate is odometer on a vehicle. If a person's going somewhere, you know where that place is. Check the mileage on the vehicle before they go and check it when they come back. You don't have to do it right away. I mean, if your car is used, you know, sparingly, you can check it, you know, in the morning if they're going to go out in the afternoon to see what the mileage is. And or you can even write it down when you're in the car the day before or memorize it when you see it while you're driving. And then if you drive somewhere else, you could deduct those miles. For example, if you drive in a car and the mileage ends in 150, and then maybe you go to the store that's five miles away, you can subtract five miles, but then see what the distance is that was used for that supposed fishing trip. If it's the right number of miles to go to where they're supposed to go and back, then that makes sense. But if their fishing hole is 15 miles away and there's only four miles on the vehicle, they didn't go no 15 miles away. They might've gone to the hotel that's two miles away and then two miles back, right? So check the other factors, what they're wearing, what the mileage is, even things like is the car clean, is the car dirty, is the seat moved, right? Is your seat on your passenger side at the right place? Check out the details on that event. The events of being away from you are important and the urgency of those events are important. If somebody makes a big deal to overshare about an event to make sure that they can go, that's a red flag. Because, you know, they made a commitment to that other person. Remember, if a person's in a secondary relationship, they're making commitments to that person. In fact, sometimes those commitments are more urgent for them because they desire the other relationship. And if it's a secondary relationship, that person is giving them a guilt trip every time. Why well, you have to go home to your wife? You have to go home to your husband, right? So they're going to try to 
prove that wrong. No, no, I can see you. Don't worry. And they're going to try to force the issue with you to have that distance and time. So look out for those urgencies of very specific times. And you can verify some of the details too. Next one is communications. And even though we discarded the idea of like checking their phone, that's part of it, but it's not the only thing. If a person is in a secondary relationship, they will be needing to communicate with that party at times other than when they see them. They're going to need to communicate with them in advance to make plans. They're going to need to communicate with them even just to kind of check in and have little romantic talks and texts and that kind of thing. Some of that can happen with their phone, but most people nowadays are smart enough to not make the phone a big deal, although it's kind of hard these days. So what they're going to do is to try to do things when you're not around, right? If you're in the shower, they'll text on their phone. If you go to the store, they'll call up on their phone. Maybe they'll do it online on their computer. So look for the opportunities. When would this would even be possible for my partner, my husband, my wife, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, when would it be even possible for them to communicate when I'm around them? When are the dead spots? When am I not looking? And then use those as times to try to catch them. So if the person's thinking you're not going to be looking because you're in the shower or you're making dinner or you're doing something else, do what's called the circle back. Pop back in to the, the, to the scenario with them. They're sitting around watching TV, doing nothing, and you know, make it a point to say, oh, I'm going to go take a shower. Two minutes later, pop back and see what they're doing or on their computer or something else. The communications are a lot more prevalent than you think because they're going to be on a guilt trip that they can't see that person all the time and they're going to try to find ways to do it. Don't bother looking on their phone for texts or phone calls because they're not going to leave it out in the open. But try to catch them in the act when they're doing it. The next one is calendar dates. Calendar dates. Anytime there is a holiday or an event that would be an excuse or reason that that would have to see the other person, see what's going on around that time. On their birthday, around Valentine's Day, around Christmas, around New Year's, different events. Now obviously as the primary relationship, you're gonna see them on their birthday. You're going to see them on Valentine's Day. You're going to see them on Christmas, New Year's. But what about the day before, the day after? They're going to have to do something to maintain that relationship by connecting with this other cheater person on a date near that, even on their birthday, right? Their side relationship is going to want to do something for their birthday. They may not be able to do it on their birthday. What about the day before? What about the day after? Really hone in on those dates to see where they're going, what they're doing. Because that's going to be where their Achilles heel is. Maybe not on New Year's Eve, but maybe New Year's Day. Maybe not Christmas Day, but New Christmas Eve or vice versa. Look for those dates and really focus in what's happening on those dates. We're not even going to get into things like GPS monitoring or tracking because you know it's illegal in most places. And if you want to do that, fine. But we're talking about things that you can track afterwards. And the last one is third parties. In this person's life besides the other person who would know about this do they have a friend do they have a college roommate do they have a brother sister who is that close confidant that at some point has become aware of this other relationship there's got to be somebody it's not just them at some point they'll leak it sneak it 
maybe even go out to dinner with this other relationship and somebody else, who is that other person that they can trust to know about this side relationship that's not going to tell you? Think about the list of all their friends, colleagues, coworkers, relatives, and who are the top four or five candidates that would know about this other relationship. And from that list, maybe, like I said, pick three or four and start having conversations with them. You're not going to ask them directly, hey, is Joe cheating on me? Hey, is Sally cheating on me? Because it's going to backfire. But casually start to have more conversations. Maybe it's when there's a mutual event that you're at with your primary relationship partner. Maybe it's an excuse to contact them about their birthday or about buying a gift or you know, taking them out to dinner or doing something. Hey, look, I want to do something special for Joe. Um, I want to talk to you about it. Just find excuses to have a conversation. From those conversations, you'll be able to get clues. Do they feel guilty about it? Some of the people, even though they're roped into this you know, place of confidence, circle of trust, they don't want to be there. They wish that they weren't aware of this happening because now they feel guilty that now they're betraying you too. Some of them are just, I got your back, I'll never tell, and they'll keep it a secret. Either way, you can pick up on that from those conversations. So without having an agenda of what to say, just have more conversations with those people. Almost every single time, 99% of the time, when we've discovered infidelity in a relationship, our client has said, you know, I knew when I talked to so-and-so that they had something on their mind. They were hiding something. They wished they could tell me. Or when it came out, they said, oh, the cousin told me that they knew and they wished they could tell me. So give that person an excuse to tell you. Become friends with them. Go out shopping with them. If your spouse has a cousin that you think knows, offer to take them to brunch or meet for coffee when your other significant other is fishing or doing whatever they're doing. Start to build a relationship because at some point it'll be blurted out, it'll leak out, it'll sneak out, or your partner is going to find out about it and try to tell them, look, don't say anything. And the other person might push back and say, don't do it anymore. So find some allies that you don't even know who they are yet to get on your side. Eventually it'll come out. So those are three or four ways that you can discover infidelity, you know, without the obvious ones, you know, making sure their clothes don't have lipstick on it, making sure there's not receipts in pockets, make sure there's not toll bills for going over the you know, over the bridge to go to where they're not supposed to be going. That's obvious stuff. I'm talking about other things that you can do that almost always point to the right answer and that are a little more indefensible than a receipt that could be explained away.